All right, everybody, you have just tuned in to the Steel City Blitz Steelers podcast presented by 26shirts.com slash Pittsburgh. And we have an absolute uh, bundle of things to discuss tonight because it has been one unusually busy week in the Steel City. It's always busy during the football season, but with everything that went on on Sunday uh, and the loss to Seattle, uh, there there are just all kinds of things, and we're going to do our best to get through it. Uh, joining me tonight are uh, Ian and Ben. And uh, Ian, uh, how are things going for you, other than the fact that the Steelers are 0-2? Well, other than the fact that they're 0-2, pretty good can't really complain too much but um you know it's i i think as unfortunate as it is to lose ben roethlisberger for the season i think you know his injury did make it a little easier to to swallow being oh and two just the fact that we had to play a whole half of football with our backup quarterback it's kind of like okay you know have to temper my expectations a little bit i mean i'm obviously not happy that we're oh and two but you know the the expectations go down a little yeah totally fair point Totally fair point. And uh, uh, Ben, you were there in Pittsburgh to witness the carnage. Uh, what uh, what was your takeaway from Sunday and, and moving forward to today? Well, from Sunday, it was that sucked. Um, you know, moving forward, it obviously you, you get away from it and you get you get a little more perspective because the emotions yeah. dissipate. From the moment, but yeah, there I I really expected them to win, and yeah, I looked at mm-hmm. that game. The defense gave the offense the ball twice in close, and basically gave them fourteen points. They spotted yeah. them fourteen points, and you know the the D the offense was only able to score another twelve on their own, and it just it just they they were not good. Uh, yeah. Dante Moncrief, you know, he may be the, the worst acquisition since Josh Scobie. Uh, he was absolutely <laughs> horrible again. Uh, I, I didn't see, I just didn't see all those guys on the same page. And, you know, there were some things that, that Rudy did there that were, that were encouraging, Mm-hmm. And there were some things that the defense did that were really, really discouraging. Uh, the same crap over and over again with simple route concepts being missed because of miscommunication. It's become a recurring theme. And, you know, for somebody like me who has consistently defended Mike Tomlin, yeah. I'm in a very, very difficult position. And it's it's very hard to keep doing that. Uh, yeah. Mike should have fired his defensive coordinator. I know we've talked about this before, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, I'm kind of I'm, – I'm getting ready to go ahead and join the chorus of, let's go ahead and fire Keith Butler midseason and do the unprecedented in Pittsburgh and make a switch. You've got Terrell Austin there. He's got experience. Make him the D.C. today. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's very interesting because you know the the Steelers also did something this week that that they hadn't done in in many 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 decades, um, and and so it's obvious that the Steelers under Art Rooney too are operating and have operated differently than they did under Art Rooney and that they did under Dan. Um, now that doesn't mean that they're going to go ahead and uh, fire Keith Butler, you know, next week or anything like that, or or halfway through. But it does give me a glimmer of hope that they may get to that point because, as you said, and I know Ian's going to uh, jump in on this too. 
um, it, it is the same things over and over and over. And, and I know it's cliche to just keep talking about, you know, definition of insanity, blah, blah, blah. But that's where I'm at. Um, and, and that's where I felt like I was at after week one. Uh, I, I've, you know, been a longtime supporter of Tomlin, but, but I'm getting to the point too, where I, I just can't keep seeing the same things over and over again. Um, you know, Ian, are, are, where, where are you on your, cause you've been a Tomlin supporter too. I, I mean, are, are you starting to, to fracture a little bit there? I think, I, I mean, generally as a whole, I think head coaches are, mostly responsible for you know setting the tone making in-game decisions which Tomlin mm-hmm. has struggled with um, he's uh, I once called him the best Monday through Saturday coach in the league or Tuesday through Saturday really if you yeah, have a Monday yeah. night game but you know he talks a good game during the week but he doesn't always deliver during the game on Sundays uh, that's always something he struggled with with clock management with um, in-game adjustments things like that that being said um you know, while he is in charge of setting his staff, deciding his coordinators, the X's and O's of the scheme of the defense and the offense really do fall more on the coordinators than on, on Tomlin mm-hmm, himself. Mm-hmm. We have heard stories and reports about how Tomlin has taken more of a control, especially in the defense. So some of the fault may fall on him. They are still doing the same things schematically that they've done that don't work repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are right with sort of the definition of insanity. Um, that being said, is I'll try not to mention this name anymore on this podcast, but with every continual story that comes out about Antonio Brown, it does make me respect Tomlin's ability to <laughs> keep everything under wraps in Pittsburgh a little bit better for just as long as he did because – it's not that this guy got this crazy all of a sudden, like he was doing crap all along and the Steelers oh, yeah. did a fantastic job of just keeping it in house and keeping it under wraps and getting him out there to play and produce on Sunday. So wh- whatever they did, you know, there's, there's some respect there that they were able to get as much production out of that player for as long as they did. So, um, you know, I, I think you have to look at it as a whole, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I was thinking about immediately after the game last week was whether or not Ben going down essentially gives Tomlin a, a free pass from wow. criticism this year, because if the Steelers are bad with a backup quarterback, it's pretty easy to say, you know, hey, our franchise quarterback missed, you know, 14 mm-hmm. and a half games. What do you expect? You know, um, at the same time. Uh, if the Steelers do well, then you start talking about Tomlin as a, you know, even if they're eight and eight, nine and seven, you know, you, you may have to put him in the conversation for a potential coach of the year candidate because you say, hey, they got themselves two or over 500 yeah. with their backup quarterback playing 14 and a half games. So, you know, it's a, it's a double edged sword that it, it, I don't want to say it absolves him from criticism, but it, it makes, criticism of him have to be much more pointed and I think has to be much more focused on the defensive side of the ball because there you really not only do you not have significant injuries I mean I guess mm-hmm. Vince Williams yeah. is down but um, you know you made a trade of your first round draft pick next year for a guy that everyone in the building says can help you so uh, you know there were some mixed reactions um, about getting Minka Fitzpatrick. The more I thought about it, the more I, I liked the move. Um, and we can talk about that more in a minute. Yeah. What I liked about it, I did see one tweet out there that I, I 
laughed heartily at that you know giving keith butler make a fitzpatrick is like giving ray charles a telescope so, <laughs> <laughs> um, right. you know i've i've definitely soured on butler i agree yeah. that he should be gone um uh, i think the soonest they would probably make the move would be the bye week bye i would week. be surprised if they did it before that just to give you know, a couple weeks to make that transition. Like you said, you made a great point, Mark, that um, they traditionally don't make an in-season coordinator move. They wait till the end of the year. Yeah. But at the same time, they haven't traded their first-round pick away since the 1960s. So it, they made a bold move up in the draft to go get Devin Bush. They made a bold move in week two to, to get yeah. Link of Fitzpatrick. So it's kind of a, a brave new world where our previous assumptions about, you know, what the Steelers' modus operandi is isn't necessarily what they're always going to do anymore. Well, you know, so so Ben, let's jump into Rudy here first before we get to the Fitzpatrick deal. Um, you know, you, as you said, you, you were there, and you get a different vibe when you're at the game than than you do on TV or watching on TV. And you know, you said he did some nice things, but he certainly has some things he's got to work on, and that's to be expected. Um, what do you think is the best way for him to be successful from from here on out? Uh, assuming he's the Steelers' quarterback for the next fourteen games. Uh, I want to touch on something Ian said first, and then I'll answer that. I think Tomlin has less job security as of today than he had before, than he had on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, If if there ever was a time to make a change, it's going to be at the end of this season. And, you know, basically, if they decide that Rudolph can be the franchise quarterback and that Mike Tomlin is not the guy, because, you know, they, they made this bold move right. and they gave him more on defense and he still isn't getting it done, then he's, you know, you're gone. I mean, basically, you don't need Ben anymore if you've decided that Rudolph is going to be the franchise future. And the time to make a switch is then, early in, in Rudolph's career. True. Not later. So I I think a lot of what the last couple of years, a lot of – what has given Tomlin job security other than the fact that he coaches for the head, you know, he's the head coach for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers is Mm -hmm. that uh, he has an aging quarterback and that quarterback, you're not going to ask him to learn a new offense. No, it's not going to happen. You're just not. So the the whole speculation about will he, or won't he get an extension this summer? I thought was stupid. You knew he was going to get an extension. Why, why placate the media with that bullshit? And mm-hmm. try and make them believe that maybe he won't. It was total nonsense. So, you know, when they gave him the one year, I was like, yeah, this is for show. It's BS. Um, you know, he and Ben are about, both now on the same schedule, but it means nothing. It's yeah. complete BS. He's going to have two more years. He's going to have two years left, and they're going to give him another extension. So it's this is dumb. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the time the time to make a switch is when you've got that young quarterback in place and you think you've got enough talent on defense, but they're just not being coached properly. So yeah, uh, he's got less. Now getting I, back to yeah. Rudolph, what can he yeah. do? Simply put, what Rudolph can do to be successful for the rest of the year is throw the ball between the numbers, mm-hmm. not outside, because that's where he's best at at, at placing the ball. Now he's yeah. he's an accurate passer. He's not strong armed. Sorry, he's just not. Agreed. Um, ben has got a cannon. Rudy does not. Uh, and the thing they can do to protect him is run play action. 
But in order to do that, they've really got to get the running game going. And so, again, what I'd like to see <laughs> is more runs between the tackles, which is going to mean Benny Snell this week because James Conner is not 100%. Right. And, you know, maybe some counters, some counter plays with, with Jalen Samuels and, and rolling Jalen Samuels out of the backfield and, you know, throwing some short passes into the flat. But they've got to get the running game going. They've got to keep the defense honest, or Rudolph's going to get killed. You know, they're just going to yeah. run run blitzes on him all day, all day long, and he's going to get killed. Yeah, he cannot be sitting back there throwing the ball forty or forty-five times. If that happens, it's it's forget it. Um, and I I think they know that. Um, Ian, is there, is there anything else that, that you need to see from from Rudolph for in order for him to be successful this week? Or going forward, I think. I mean, you know, on a, on a very basic level for a backup quarterback, I thought he did a, a very good job. Just mm-hmm. I'll say with the basics, he got him in and out of the huddle that didn't have to spend any timeouts on you know delay games or he struggled with play calls or things like that. He was able to um, you know get get the team up to the line, make the necessary checks at the line that he needed right, to to right. you know get the players in position. Um, he got hurt by a few drops. I mean, obviously the Moncrief one was big, but he had a couple other ones. Xavier Grimble had another ball, hit him right in the hands over the middle for like an yeah. eight to 10 yard gain and just yep. dropped it. Yep. So, uh, you know, he, he's got to get some help from the players around him. He's got to get some help from the coaches as far as schematically, like Ben talked about with play action passes, which is something they haven't done as much under, under Ben right. um, Roethlisberger, not our Ben that we're talking yeah, to, um, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, just some, some schematic stuff, get into, um, you know, get into favorable down and distance situations. You don't have to get big chunks all the time, you know, get yourself into, you know, second and four, second and five, where you can, you know, be more aggressive with your play calling and keep the run game active, you know, stay out of those third and long situations. Um, I actually thought even through the preseason, Rudolph's pocket presence was really good. He does a, a very Much good improved. job, um, you know, identifying pressure, stepping away from it, and then being able to make throws, um, on the move, he can't throw as well, you know, on a full out run as Ben can. And I think our Ben uh, made a mm-hmm. good reference to that with his arm strength that, you know, it's, it's not as strong as Roethlisberger's, but um, he's still able to, to look and find guys open uh, when he's on the move, which is much better than having a statue back there. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I, I, I think you guys have both nailed it. I, I don't need to say anything further. Um, let, let me kind of wrap up the discussion with Rudolph as it pertains to just long term here. Uh, ben, w- what is a, a a record that you would look back and say, you know, I think that's I, I think that that's a good mark. I think that he could he got to seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven, something like that, I, you know, whatever. And and you could say that, you know what, I'm satisfied with that based on what we're dealing with. I mean, do you have that record in mind at all? Not really. Um, I mean, my my expectations are, you know, a lot lower than they were at the beginning of the season, certainly oh, now. certainly, yeah. Um, honestly, I, it's not all going to be on him. Because no, no. The, the defense has still got the same issues they had last year, yeah. and the year before that, and 
you know, um, I don't know, maybe eight and eight, nine and seven. I mean, if he can get there, if he can get to eight and eight, that means he went eight and six as a starter. That's right. pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, I'd be okay with that. I, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like thrilled with it, obviously, because eight well, and eight no. sucks, but yep. it would be more satisfying than, you know, him going 500 and the Steelers finishing seven and nine. Yeah. Yeah. Ian, do you, do you have a ballpark number in mind? What you, what you think is, is going to be good I was for actually going to say, if we get to seven and nine, that would be, that would be okay. I mean, it's not great, yeah. but getting to, getting to seven, like I, so I, I, you know, tweeted something this week that got a lot of play on Twitter that basically said, you know, Hey, I remember the pre Roethlisberger years. I remember going <laughs> six and 10, like, you know, for the younger fans out there. And I got a lot of responses of people saying like, I have never experienced a season without Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I don't know what a losing yeah. season is like. Yeah. And then I had people obviously, you know, that said like, Oh yeah, I remember the eighties the were painful. Like oh. some people saying like the pre seventies were painful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't remember that, but uh, you know, I was, I was born in the eighties and I, my first quarterback I can remember is Bubby Brister. And it was, I mean, those were some painful, <laughs> painful years in the early, early nineties. And even in the late nineties, we were trotting out like Kent Graham and, yeah. um, you know, it was it was some Jim Miller, some some bad times. Um, that six and ten year in in two thousand three is the one I still go back to. Like losing ten games is awful. It just sucks. Like double digit <laughs> losses are are terrible. And I realize that you know there's some other teams out there like Cleveland that like threw a parade basically because they didn't they didn't lose double digit games last year <laughs> um even though they didn't have a winning season like they because they were almost 500 yeah, yeah. throw hey. a parade yay yeah. Yeah. Exactly. perspectives, perspectives so, are so different so, city to city right so i think if if rudolph can can go 500 and go yeah. 7 and 7 get us a 7 and 9 like even though it's a losing season overall like we want to like lose just lose, that mental hurdle of not losing yeah. double digit games is just you know it's something to get past um and then also you have to figure that the more games we win this year the worse of a first round pick Miami actually gets from us which right. would probably put it you know lo- going 7 and 9 probably puts it somewhere in the you know 5 14 15 14, to 20 right? yeah somewhere around there um so and really, there. Uh, I mean, just watching this Jacksonville Tennessee game, there aren't a lot of other gr- good teams in the AFC. So outside of you know New England, Kansas City, the Chargers, the AFC South sucks. Um, I mean, Baltimore looks good right now, but we've seen them start fast plenty of times and fade oh, yeah. later. Um, you know, Cincinnati's terrible. Cleveland still hasn't beaten a team with a winning record. So. It's and and we get to play the full AFC East this year. So we've played New England, but we also get to play Buffalo, the Jets, and Miami. Yep. So it's not out of the question if the defense can come around and be competent that you know we could get to eight and eight or, or somewhere around there. Yeah, it's you know it's it's fair. It's kind of where I'm at too. I think five of the next seven are at home. Um, you know, and and going to give him a nice a nice cushion base, if you will, to 
to get his feet underneath him as the full-time starter. And, you know, stranger things have happened. We've seen what other backups have done uh, over time. I go back to Jeff Hostetler and with the Giants. And, and, and granted, that was a very different situation. But, um, you know, I, I I can't help but but laugh at the point you were making. There is an entire generation of, of Steeler fans who, who are – perhaps going off into uncharted territory with with records that they're not used to seeing which is below 500 uh and and you know all three of us can attest that that it's not fun um but uh you know it, it is what it is and and obviously we hope that rudy leads us to the promised land but we have to be realistic too uh you're listening to the uh steel city blitz Steelers podcast presented by 26shirts.com slash pittsburgh and right now they have a brand new shirt out celebrating uh the penguins penguins i think are in uh, training camp doing some preseason stuff already and yes. uh it's it's reservoir pens it's uh kind of a takeoff of the movie poster from reservoir dogs you gotta see it. it's a neat shirt but uh eight bucks from everyone that is sold uh, helps benefit the American Cancer Society of Pennsylvania. So please get a great shirt, do something good at the same time. Um, ben, uh, the Steelers make an unusual, rare in-season trade, and it's for a first-round draft pick, and they get Minka Fitzpatrick in return. Yeah. Oh, what are your thoughts on this trade? That Fitzpatrick is our 2020 first-round draft pick, and I'm fine with it. I, yeah, you know, yep. The, the guy's got three years left on his uh, contract at a total of $5.8 million for three years, plus a fifth-year option for the number 11 pick versus a top 10 pick, which is a much less expensive fifth-year option. So I, I'm i pretty stoked about it, to be perfectly frank. Um, Ian... Do you know that uh, I should know this off the top of my head and I can't remember. I've got a brain fart. What's the difference between top 10? It's like top, top 24 salaries. No, it's, uh, it's the average between the top 10 and top 25 salaries is the fifth year option as opposed to, if you're a top 10 pick, it's the top 10 salaries averaged out. And that's got to be your fifth year option. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, and then it does go down after the top 10 picks for picks 11 through uh, 32. Correct. Um, and it's somewhat based on position also. Um, but I don't I don't remember what the average is for, um, you know, the 11 to 32 picks, like how they figure that out. It, the, the number does go down significantly, though, I'll say. Yeah, that. I just always remember you got the top 10 and then it starts dropping kind of rapidly after that. Well, Miami yeah, had to had to no. give Fitzpatrick a ten million dollar signing bonus last year, and they got to eat all of that dead money. So that that's the other yep. thing that people really aren't con- taking into consideration is the huge chunk of cash and cap space the Steelers saved by burning a first round pick. Yeah. In next year's draft, you know, and you know, yeah, it's likely that they're going to get a three for Le'Veon Bell, and I certainly hope so because they traded away their three uh, last year. So, um, The other thing to keep in mind, sorry, jumping in here real quick, though, is that the the fifth-year option is tied to the player's position. So playing Fitzpatrick at safety 
also will have a much lower fifth year option number than if he was playing at cornerback. Yes. Because cornerback <laughs> salaries tend to be much higher than safeties. Good so I, I was I was just looking at like the, the fifth year option salaries for this year, which were guys from the twenty sixteen draft class. Um for picks eleven through thirty-two, um the safety fifth year option was basically six point five million and the cornerback fifth year option was like nine point nine million. So wow. Yeah, so there is a, a fairly significant difference between a safety and a cornerback salary also. Huge. Yeah. So, you know, just talking with both of you both on and off the air, it, it sounds like uh, all three of us are, are in favor of this, and, and we've all kind of pointed out the reasons why, whether on the show or in articles this week uh, or, or just chit-chatting on social media. But, um, you know, I, I keep coming back to the fact that this is a known, whereas you just don't know what you're going you're gonna to get in the draft, especially when you're talking about the Steelers when it comes to drafting secondary positions lately. Um, I, I really don't see any reason to not like this deal. Now, we, we all know that if things go really, really, really bad and we end up at, at 4-12 and 12 and Rudolph hasn't played well, that you're going to get people complaining that, oh, geez, we could have used that pick to draft, you know, the quarterback of the future, blah, blah, blah. You, you can't live necessarily in the future. you got to live for what's going on right now. And all three of us know they have – extreme confidence in Rudolph, uh, probably more so than than most teams have in their backup quarterback. So I, I, I like the move. I think it's great. I, I, I you know, told Ian before we started, I have a little trepidation just because of, of some of the attitude stuff that he apparently had about where to play. But again, I think a lot of players would have been in a similar situation in that organization, which is a, a complete catastrophe right now. Um, was talking to somebody today that's down there, and 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 you you can't even describe how down the fan base is down there. It's just just awful what's going on in Miami. But um, I, I'm excited. I think this guy brings an immediate presence there, um, and and maybe even starts to turn the ball over a, a little bit more than than what we've seen. I mean, any any bit would be more. So I'm one, very excited about it, Ben. One quick point. Uh, there, there, there have been a few uh, Pittsburgh sports radio personalities who have oh, sure. voiced voiced some concerns that uh, Fitzpatrick wanted out of Miami after 17 months, and right. that if he plays at a high level, he certainly won't be happy with his contract. Um, yeah, it's either that or he suddenly realized that he was part of an organization that was hyper focused on tanking the season. Mm-hmm. to get the number one overall pick in the next draft and was simultaneously trading or dra- or cutting its top talent away in an effort to do so. And he decided that rather than be part of that loser, he'd like to be a part of that exodus and get the hell out. Yeah. yeah. And I, I look at it from that standpoint. You got a guy who likes football, who wants to win, wants to be part of, of a team that wants to win and suddenly finds himself on a team that's losing on purpose and says, you know, the hell with this. I don't want to be part of this. Uh, I don't blame him. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 think, I don't blame you know. him either. I, I really don't. I, I don't think this makes him a bad guy. Um, I think that that's a talking point made by somebody who's looking for a talking point, and he's well. trying to stir the pot, and that's fine. Um, quick point on fifth-year salaries, uh, since we yeah. were discussing it before. Um, it's calculated based upon 
the position you took the highest number of snaps at the year previous. And fifth-year salaries are determined by draft position. First 10 picks earn pay equal to the average of the 10 highest salaries at that position. The remainder of the first round is the average of the third through 25th highest salaries at that position. Okay, so that's – it sounds to me like it's average salaries. Mm-hmm. It's not cap hits. And I, mm-hmm. I thought before that it was cap hits, but it's it's average salaries, APY, average per year. But I, I don't think any of us are on the, under any uh, illusion that he's going to, you know, see any time anywhere other than mostly safety, right? I mean, I, I don't I don't see him playing corner. Uh, maybe slot I, corner occasionally. Yeah, but, I don't know. And I, I tend yeah. to wonder if he isn't going to play some slot corner like this week, to be perfectly frank, if he yeah. isn't going to be covering George Kittle. It'd be nice if somebody covers George Kittle. Wouldn't uh, it? And, yeah, and, and let's talk about that because uh, last week the Steelers got burned by some guy with the last name of Disley. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, my God, it, it, it's just it, – it's like you could pull a guy off the street – who, who is currently like, uh, you know, a, a UPS delivery guy and say, hey, you know, you have nice size. You can catch the ball. We, we're playing the Steelers this weekend. We just need you to run a seam route uh, and, and go catch touchdown passes, man. You'll be famous. You know, and now we got this coming up as we kind of segue into this game this week against 2-0 San Francisco, opening the, the season at home for their first home game after two road wins. Um and yeah, they got one of the best tight ends in the league. And gee, what do we don't do well? Cover tight ends. Um, but but uh, so Ian, let's start right there. Let's start with that San Francisco offense. Um, we we know what the Steelers' defense needs to work on, but but w- what are the things we need to focus on with the Niners? So a lot of their offense starts with their running game. They actually have a pretty good running game, um, despite the fact that they've had some injuries to running backs that they've signed. Uh, you know, they signed Jarek McKinnon to a big deal last year, and then he tore his ACL and hasn't played since. And um, they signed Tevin Coleman this year, and he got hurt. But Mapparetti has been really good for them, and they run a lot of play action stuff off the running game. Um, right. The other thing to to keep an eye on is that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo gets the ball out quick and does not get hit very much. Um, a, saw a chart today based on the NFL next gen stats that they now publish. Um, he's only getting hit on like 5% of his dropbacks and it's getting mm-hmm. the ball out in like basically 2.5 seconds, which is right around where like Brady and Mahomes get the ball out. So um, he, he gets the ball out very quickly, um, you know, quicker than guys like Wentz, Dalton, Trubisky, Stafford, Roethlisberger. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the balls, the balls coming out fast and, uh, he doesn't get hit very much, which speaks to both their offensive line and um, just the fact that, you know, they have a short passing game. They have a quick passing game and they run scheme things like play action bootlegs where there really shouldn't be anyone around him. Um, and he's got some time to look down the field and, and make throws. Um, so that's the first thing to keep an eye on is, you know, Seattle made a, an in-game adjustment that, after the first few drives, they shortened up their passes and Wilson started getting the ball out a lot mm-hmm. faster. Um, and that basically neutralized what was a pretty good Steelers pass rush at the beginning yes. of the game um, that they were getting the ball out so fast that even the interior pressure didn't have time to get there. Cause Wilson was taking the snap and the shotgun and 
it was i think i saw his average was like 1.86 seconds to get the ball out last week which was insane to be under two seconds yeah um so nobody aaron donald's not getting there in 1.86 seconds like it's just not happening if you're in the shotgun so um you know san francisco does some schematic things very well um like you said, George Kittle's a guy to watch. They have some very, very speedy receivers on the outside too. Um, some guys that are capable of making making guys miss in space. And one of the things Seattle did against us last week was not only were they throwing quick, but they were forcing our defensive backs to make tackles in space, which uh, <laughs> unfortunately, pre Minka Fitzpatrick at least is is not really <laughs> our forte. Um, so yeah, at least from an offensive standpoint, that's what I'm looking at for uh, San Francisco. Well, so, so Ben, how, how do you combat that? If you've got a quarterback that's getting rid of the ball, it's a one, two, three throw, uh, and, and your pass rush isn't getting there, how, how do you combat that against uh, a guy like Garoppolo? Play bump. It's not well, friggin' rocket science. You incorporate bump into your coverages, and you know you play press when you're not playing bump, so they think that maybe you're going to play bump, and you play physical. and and then you you mix in some zone on top of that and you disguise it, but you've got to make him think. If he knows pre-snap where he's going to go with the ball, he's going to chew you up. So yeah, you, you've got to divert and and change receivers' pass patterns at the lines. Make them think that they're going to have outside leverage and then take it away from them. Um, just abuse them in the first five yards. You, you gotta. There's there's no way around that. And with a guy like George Kittle, who's not only fast, but also big, yeah. that's going to be really difficult. For example, uh, I don't really know exactly how you do that. I mean, Bud Dupree can't pass rush anyway. Maybe just have him just smack him, you know, when he comes <laughs> off the line. And uh, then you let, you know, let a safety take over after the fact, but they've got to redirect those routes. Yeah. They have to do that. And, and it's something they didn't do last week when Seattle made the adjustment. Um, no, and they didn't do it against New England either. And no. the thing that sucks is they had success doing exactly what I just described against New England last year, last year. and they abandoned it. Yeah. Um, now, you, Ben, you the mentioned – thing – Yeah, go the, ahead. The, the other thing I'd watch for, too – that we've especially struggled with this year. And it's something that's bleeding over from last year. Again, to get back to, you know, Keith Butler and the definition of insanity yeah. is new England did this and Seattle did this. They would split either a running back or a tight end out wide and move their number one receiver into the slot. And the Steelers didn't adjust their defense. They yes. kept their cornerbacks on the outside, the farthest outside Just, guy, whether it was a tight end or a running back or whoever, ridiculous and they had you... they had nelson on metcalf and he was having a great game and yeah. so they moved him inside and not only not only did mike hilton not cover him well once he didn't cover him at all <laughs> and cam kelly's 20 yards off the ball passes him along hilton that had to be a miscommunication again yes. again 20 yards off the ball hilton blitzes and kelly's like oh i'm supposed to cover him oh oh i didn't know oh, touchdown god well, you know, you, you mentioned Bud Dupree. Now, Joe Staley is a very fine offensive tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, and I believe he went on IR today. Uh, the, the Niners are going to put a rookie up against uh, uh, Bud Dupree. Uh, so, uh, Ben, your expectations of Bud Dupree, three, four, five sacks on Sunday? 
Uh, Bud Dupree was limited in practice today with an ankle, uh, so boy. my expectations are low. Uh, how many snaps has uh, Ian? You might know this. Has Ola Adinier had uh, so far in two games? Not many. Although he was working his way back from an injury, I think he was. I think he played one in the opener. I don't know if he played any at all against Seattle. I can find that out quickly here. I, though. I, I don't think. I think it's one. I think it's one defensive snap. No, he's played um, more than that. He has. Yeah, yes. I, I, I thought it was just one. I thought maybe I saw a different stat today. Um, so you know, we we've already kind of talked a little bit about Steelers offensively, <sighs> um, about what we expect Rudolph and, and stuff to there do, but. Uh, San Francisco's defense is playing very well. They had two pick sixes against Tampa Bay, which, okay, Jameis Winston, that's not totally unheard of. Um, but then they played pretty well against yeah. Andy Dalton uh, and, and the Bengals. And, uh, you know, and the Bengals looked fairly competent the week before against Seattle. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, Ian, what, uh, what do you expect to see out of the San Francisco defense? They they have an aggressive secondary. I mean, Richard Sherman's still you know a solid corner that can yep. play play press and be physical with receivers and um, hold. It, yeah, it's a, hold, a lot of holding. A lot. Yeah, a lot. yes. Yep. Um, but you know they're they're probably going to match him up against Juju and and make Juju work to get open. Um, and uh, Ola has four total snaps this year, by the way. Yeah, on defense, just found okay, that. Okay, one four. Um, I suppose. Yeah, not not many. It was the correct answer. Um, <laughs> but but back to Seattle's defense, or not Seattle, sorry, San Francisco's defense. Um, you know, they, they have a very good defensive front. Um, they spent a lot of high draft picks on, um, you know, defensive linemen, some, yep. some very similar defensive linemen, actually, um, with, uh, you know, the, the kids from Oregon, the kid from Stanford. Um, Bosa. Bose is more of a of a defensive yeah. end, um, but I, I was thinking more of sort of the you know the the interior combo lineman. Oh sure, sure, yeah. Um, uh, Solomon, Thomas. Solomon Thomas, Solomon yeah. Thomas, um, blanking on the third guys, DeForest Buckner, yeah. So between between Buckner, Eric Armstead, and Solomon Thomas, I mean they're basically three clones of each other, and they mm-hmm. can rotate those guys between end positions and tackle positions uh kind of like uh the giants did when they when they beat the uh undefeated patriots in the super bowl when they took their outside linemen moved them to inside rushers on passing downs and you know the the patriots interior linemen had trouble with that speed coming up the middle um you know and and oh and san francisco has d ford too that they signed from kansas city who we all know maybe or maybe not jumped off sides maybe (sighs) the Lined up offsides. Yeah. Yeah. Lined up Somewhere. in the neutral zone. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, San Francisco also has Quan Alexander at linebacker. He was a guy that was really good in Tampa Bay, and a lot of us thought the Steelers should go after this year. Um, the Steelers wound up signing Mark Barron and then drafting Devin Bush. Um, but Quan Alexander's a, a Pro Bowl caliber talent there. Yes, he is. And, um, or I should say Pro Bowl talent, period. I mean, he's been to yeah. Pro Bowl before. Um, so San Francisco's a good defense. Um, you know, they're they're going to challenge us. And really, the Steelers haven't yet shown the ability to have a, a, a second target in the passing game that's consistent outside of Juju. I mean, Juju's definitely the number one. It was good to see Rudolph looking his way and, and having that connection. I don't know how much they played together in the preseason, considering Rudolph played with the twos a lot more. Right. Um, 
I'm expecting James Washington to get more balls thrown his way. Yep. And honestly, at this point, considering how bad Dante Moncrief has been and Johnny Holton really hasn't given us much. I mean, they should, the Steelers offensively should just roll out there in 11 personnel with either Connor or Samuels in the backfield, Vance at tight end. You put Juju on one side, you put Washington on the other, you put, and have uh, Deontay Johnson on the field, either in the slot or rotating around on the outside and move someone else. Juju may be inside if you need to get a matchup yeah. um, and, and just roll with it and see what happens. You know, let the young guys play. You're already with a backup quarterback. Uh, Moncrief sucks. Um, you know, don't, don't get fancy. Just, just put your best players out there and see what happens. Get the ball in their hands. Let them make plays. As yeah. much experience as, as James Washington and Rudy have together, I think that's going to be a pretty good match this week. Um, now that said, you know, I'm not saying, you know, they're going to take a game over or anything, but no, it's, it's gotta be better than what, than what Dante Moncrief has brought to the table so far. He's been flat awful. And on top of that has, gifted the opposition with turnovers and it's just it's god it's just been so flipping disappointing Mm -hmm. and the running game they gotta get the running game going they gotta they have to get the running game going i mean last year that was something that you know that kind of drove the engine there for a while you know definitely And, and and they gotta get it going again and if they don't we're gonna have significant problems but those yeah, are the I, you know, no, play you, bump, you know, play bump yeah. this week, mix the coverages and get the running game going. If they do that, they give themselves a chance. If they don't, you know, it's another loss on the West Coast. Hey, yeah. speaking of that, forty, and I know you wanted to get that in here. In the last uh, yeah, this is this is my brand. Uh, you know, the the Steelers under Mike Tomlin since two thousand seven have been the second best team in the league uh, in the Eastern time zone Um, there. They have basically a 700 winning percentage. You know, they're winning basically 70% of their games in the Eastern time zone. Um, That's both home and away Um, home. They have a 714 winning percentage, which is the fourth best home percentage in the league behind new England, green Bay and Baltimore. And actually on the road in the Eastern time zone, the Steelers have, best winning percentage in the league even better than new england's um but when they have to adjust their watches and go outside the eastern time zone under mike tomlin it's been flat out awful um overall they're basically under 35 percent it's like 34 percent and change um 12 and 23 since 2007 outside the eastern time zone and it's not like the teams that they've lost to have all been Peyton Manning Denver teams you know you throw in a a Terrell Pryor led Oakland team you throw in a another Denver team led by a different quarterback who I won't name um you you throw in a Chicago team led by Kyle Orton who had thrown I think four interceptions the week prior um they're just just some bad teams that they've lost to and and the Steelers traditionally haven't been great outside the eastern time zone um i mean cower was you know won about 42 43 percent of his games Noel won about 48 percent outside the eastern time zone but those numbers weren't 
starkly different than their regular overall road mm-hmm. record i'll say um you know whereas tomlin on the road in the eastern time zone still wins 67 percent of his games but outside the eastern time zone it's half that it's 33 percent. so uh it's it's just a weird quirk of statistics but it's maintained true over time it and it's weird it's bizarre and i just you know i i don't know i don't know why it is um i think some of it some of it may have to do with the travel schedules that the team has some of it may have to do with you know playing in denver is a difficult right, place to right. play playing in um you know arizona they've actually won a game in um under tomlin but like playing in oakland not only is it hard but that field is just crap there and um well, you know i remember games in oakland where they had to change their cleats at halftime because they just got no traction at all the first half because of how bad the field was so um san francisco when they were at candlestick had had mm-hmm. you know bad fields um the yeah and 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 we're we're running late here ian i'm gonna cut you off but uh sure. yeah it, it's it's been a, a problem um under tomlin for years and, and again cowers record wasn't great either but um it's interesting they're gonna go with uh we're on the east coast time schedule uh that's their their plan as they fly out saturday but uh anyway um again thanks to 26shirts.com um for uh sponsoring the show always appreciate it uh make sure you get over there and check them out and uh for ian and for ben and for myself that is it for this episode and we'll see you after the game next week and hey go steelers